This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking with leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Jan Showers. With a bustling interior design business, a popular Dallas showroom, and a product line sold all over the country, Jan wears many hats. She's also a champion of the Texas design scene. This year, she co-chaired the second annual Kipps Bay Showhouse in Dallas, which just wrapped up last month. Recently, Jan made a big decision to pull her line out of showrooms and go direct to designers. We talked about what that change says about the industry, why Texas is a first-tier market now, and how she learned never to try and sell something she doesn't love herself. This podcast is sponsored by luxury home retailer Ben Salmani. Ben Salmani is home to an incredible selection of in-stock and ready-to-ship luxury home furnishings, rugs, and textiles, including oversized rugs, both contemporary and antique. Iconic design, bespoke quality, and unparalleled craftsmanship. Bensolmani.com seamlessly creates an all-inclusive luxury showroom experience at your fingertips. Courtesy is given to the trade with a designated site and pricing. Visit bensolmani.com or stop by the West Hollywood showrooms to learn more. This episode is also sponsored by Sidedoor. Designer Sidedoor is a game-changing tool that helps you transform your business and become more profitable. It features a thriving online marketplace for designers only, where you can buy direct from the top trade brands at your price and let someone else handle the logistics. Sidedoor also features a powerful sales tool that lets you curate shoppable collections from your favorite vendors and share them on social media, your website, or directly with your clients. Find out more at OnSideDoor.com. That's OnSideDoor.com. And now, on with the show. I want to talk a little bit about the state of Texas, a subject near and dear to your heart, and a subject that is coming up in the design world in a lot of different ways these yes, days. I bet. You, you just wrapped up the Kipps Bay Showhouse in yes. Dallas. You were one of the co-chairs there. It sounds like it was very well attended, and it sounded like it was quite a show. You had an impressive roster from Ken Falk to Kathleen Walsh and Alexa Hampton. And uh-huh. So tell me tell me how it was for you. Tell us a little bit about the house. Well, it was great. Last year, I chaired it, and we had trouble finding a house, and we finally did toward the last minute. We now have a group of investors who are already purchasing the house, with the idea of selling it after Kipps Bay's in it. So we already have our house for next year. And this year we were very fortunate because the same group of investors purchased this house and it was really a good house, a very well-designed house by Cole Smith. I actually did a room last year because it was the first year and everybody thought I should. Right. And so I did. I thought I had a fairly easy room, but... (laughs) Uh, It was beautiful because the architecture was really good. This year, the architecture everywhere was really, really great. And the grounds looked amazing. It, 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 It was wonderful last year, too. And we got lots of good press from it. But this year, I thought it was even more wonderful. 
Well, it was interesting because in the beginning, it sort of felt like, oh, let's experiment with what a Kips Bay show house in Dallas might look like. And then it seemed as if almost overnight, everyone said the response is so great. Oh, yeah. Right. That, of course, we're going to just start planning to do this from now on. Well, Dallas is a really great market. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. We started there, actually, because the Crows started the old decorative center in Dallas. And that was years and years ago. That was in the 50s. And so people from Houston, people from all over every state near us came to Dallas. And that just continued through the years and still is that way. There is a decorative center in Houston. There are two decorative centers, really. And they're great, but people do still come to Dallas. There's just so much there. Well, so tell me about that, because it it does seem as if people in Dallas really seem to be uh, appreciate design, really want, as you say, they want their houses done to a high level. Absolutely. Right? I think I mentioned this to you the other day. We had a wonderful head of DMA, the Dallas Museum of Art here, and he said the things is best and worst about Dallas is materialism and materialism. Well, (laughs) that sort of says, you know, that doesn't speak too well of Dallas, but I don't think that's the case at all. But I do think people in Dallas do want their houses done. It's very easy to find houses in Dallas that can be published. Very easy. What's interesting from a business standpoint, Mm -hmm. is how many companies, once COVID sort of really started to become a boom for for business, Mm -hmm. so many companies were telling us that their number two market in many cases, usually was always New York was their number one market. Suddenly, Dallas was showing up as uh-huh. their right as as their yes. second or third market. Oh, and, and- I think sometimes it was first. Yeah. Well, the reason it's gotten so hot is Dallas and Austin, and Fort Worth actually too, mm. have become sort of the places to move to if you're leaving California, or if you're leaving New York. Both quite frequently in the last few years, I'd say the last ten years that's been going on. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of that came from taxes being raised in California. You know, Texas does not have an income tax. Uh, a lot of big corporations, a lot of hedge fund people moved into Dallas starting, I would say, 10 years ago, eight years ago. And when that happened, you know, everybody, everything sort of started going on the upward swing. I'd say before that, you're right, Dallas would be probably considered a second tier. And uh, now, the the growth there is incredible and you i mean getting anywhere now is a problem uh, so many cars it, it's it's completely changed and austin is the same and i'm sure fort worth and do all the cars in 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 dallas have cattle horn hood ornaments is, Heavens, is that true no. Jan? Heavens, no <laughs> no because i feel so like there true. i feel like there was this outdated vision uh-huh. of, of, oh, no. right of what this market looked like but really it's a it's a terribly sophisticated and, oh, and as you very say sophisticated hedge fund community has has moved there in a big way elon musk has announced he's coming to town and that's going to oh, be yeah. the headquarters for Tesla. And, right. I and I mean, so there's a lot of people that, that have made their way to, to Texas. And as you say, yes. whether, whether it's the income tax or, or whether it's just the, the, the opportunities there. The weather. Yeah. The, I mean, there's, there's many reasons. People do need to realize when they move to Dallas that they need to not be there in August, but otherwise, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> otherwise, 
uh, uh, totally promoted. What has the the Dallas style and sensibility become over the years? What is the taste like there? What is the design uh-huh. scene like? You know, I would compare it to New York. I really would. Mm. I mean, you you would have seen uh, similar rooms, if not better. I have to say, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, okay. Yeah, I I think the Dallas style is varied. You have people who are more modern, and we have great designers who do that extremely well. You have people who are more traditional, and they do that very well. So I can't see a big difference. California is different, for sure. Yeah. L.A. is different. San Francisco may be a little more similar. It's a little dressier, maybe. But I, I think you're going to see a spectrum in Dallas. I will say this. You don't see as much of the really traditional and just all that anymore. It's mixed. Right. It, 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 it's evolved from It's from evolved, that. yes. When I started my showroom 25 years ago, actually, this year, you know, I went to Paris to buy for the first time. I've been to Paris many times before then to buy for clients, but I was buying for my showroom. Mm. And I, at that time, Dallas was really full of lots of brown furniture, not anything very unusual. <laughs> and so I went and I couldn't believe when I saw the fabulous late 40s French pieces. I just love them. So I bought half the container of what I really liked. And then I bought the other half of what I thought would sell in Dallas. And as soon as I got all of the antiques in, what sold first? What I loved. Everybody loved that. And it was just, I don't know, people were talking about it. And it was just, it was a big topic of conversation. I had to book a trip back to Paris right away so I could buy more of it. And then I sat and looked at the other pieces I did not like. And that taught me something. That taught me never to buy something I don't love. Because if I don't love it, I can't sell it. Take me back to that time and tell me what was going on for you, what your business was. And as you say, it was 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been in business a lot longer than that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go all the way back. Uh, Well, my business started out part-time because I was raising two daughters with my husband. And I loved doing that. It was the biggest part of my life, really. And so I was just doing it part-time the first 10 years. And then after my second daughter went to SMU, I decided to, I didn't decide, I was already full-time. So, (laughs) yeah. And so then I did that and I had a bookkeeper and I had an assistant, but that was it. And I did that for almost 10 years. And I actually, by the end of that time in around 1995, didn't have much of a life. I was just really working all the time. And my husband finally said to me, you need to hire some people, Jan. This is crazy. So I did. And from there, it took off and I got the showroom. And, and from then on, it's, it's been a good, really good business for me. And so I then, three years later, decided to start manufacturing furniture because I thought, oh, we do this all the time. You know, it's so easy. It'll be so easy. <laughs> I'm doing custom pieces for clients. It oh, yeah. can't be much different And they're than just that, right? amazing. And this will yes. be so simple. Oh. So thank God I didn't know better because it has been successful. But I mean, oh my gosh, manufacturing. If any young designer wants to talk to me about manufacturing, I will tell them 
you should definitely consider licensing and that way you won't have to worry about <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know, having it made. We went through growing pains uh, in the early 2000s and that was tough and that went on for about three years and then finally we got everything worked out and I would say not everything worked out because you always have issues when you're manufacturing but <laughs> well so let's yeah let's go back a little bit so uh -huh. tell me exactly how the manufacturing decision sort of even even came to you and I want to hear about some of these early <laughs> growing pains along the way right well okay I was in Santa Fe for the month of August and I was sitting outside one morning having a cup of coffee and just thought, I need to manufacture this. I just, it just came to me. <laughs> and so I was sort of at the beginning of the month there. I think we were there for maybe a little over a month. And I remember I called all the people who were making furniture for me. And I said, I want you to make this, 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 and this. And I need to have it done by the time I get back. And Believe it or not, they did do that. And so by the time I got home, everything was done and we started photographing it. And I mean, just, I, I don't know, I had the instinct for doing it. It was just, okay, everything was great at first. And then it became popular, became in more, got, was in more showrooms. And then we couldn't keep up with the manufacturing because we were having growing pains. And so we went to other furniture makers and some of them didn't do things too well. And so I was on the phone a lot apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry, we're not going to be ready on time. And uh, what can I send you to so that we can still have a good relationship? <laughs> <laughs> can I send you something really nice? And so there, there was a lot of that, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure for about, I'd say, two to three years. Well, so in the beginning, was it that you were reaching out to workrooms that, that you had worked with in the, in, the, in the past? Oh, yeah. And they were good. Right. And then when it became, the demand became more than they could handle. They couldn't scale up enough right. to, to keep up with it. Right. And so, yeah, that was the problem. Well, and, and your furniture pieces are often quite elaborate with oh, yeah. loose side legs and brass finishes and furled wood, and, right? I do it on I purpose. mean, there's a lot going on there. And I'm thinking, how many manufacturing facilities is she working with to get these pieces done? Well, not that many. Okay. And that's why our shipping time is not very short. We do have things that are uh, instant gratification, as we call it, uh, right. that are easy to get. And then I realized that it was getting more difficult for me to find pairs of vintage or antique uh, Murano lamps or ceramic lamps. And so I decided I needed to manufacture those. And that's been the easiest part of my business, actually. It accounts for about a fourth of it. About a fourth of your business is mm -hmm. the Murano lamps that you're now producing. And oh, we, we started producing those. We've been producing those for probably close to 20 years. Pretty soon after I started the business, I'd say in 2002, I started in uh, the manufacturing in 1999. And of course, that means I have to go to Venice, which I love. That's always great. <laughs> yes. And I just got back from there. Yeah, that is hardly a chore. And uh, we are developing new chandelier designs and lamp designs. 
We're taking a quick break from the show to learn more about Sidedoor, the online marketplace for the trade only. Designers, here are three ways Sidedoor can help you level up your firm. One, you can create a free account and instantly get access to trade pricing from top brands without having to worry about order minimums. Two, you can rely on Sidedoor's logistic team to handle customer service and make sure the product arrives on time. And three, you can curate a collection, share it on your website or social media, and earn 30% when your followers buy through you. It's all part of Sidedoor's mission to make designers more profitable in the digital age. Sign up today at OnSideDoor.com. That's OnSideDoor.com. And now, back to the show. I wanted to explain for listeners the many layers of your business, because I think that a lot of listeners just as you were saying, have thought about licensing or have wondered, you've got this beautiful Alfred table, for example, right? That who doesn't want to work that into a project? I love that table. I love that table too. Exactly. Uh And so you figured out how to sort of get that made so that it could be regularly reproduced. It sounds like you were very inspired by some of the, some of the French antiques that you were bringing over, right? Absolutely. Or by a part of them. I mean, I would be inspired by a part of them and then think, oh, I'd like that better if it had a different kind of top or if we simplified the leg or if we made the leg more complicated. I like making things complicated because I really don't like for anyone to copy me. So is that why? Yeah. Is that why you make them so complicated? Because you don't want people to be able to Absolutely. copy Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want Gary Friedman to be able to look at that and say, oh, Make it just like this. No, he can't do that. (laughs) Oh, I guess he could, actually. (laughs) I don't know. I doubt he would use the same wood I use, though. And that's part of what makes it special, right? So, I Mm -hmm. mean, the materials that you use and and the layers. Absolutely. It's going to be a piece of furniture that you can hand down to your children, and they would be proud of it. And that's the idea behind so much of your collection, is that is yes. that you were you're really building things that are going to be heirloom pieces passed yes, on? That is exactly right. They're all signed, by the way. They're all Jan Shower signed. That's I right. see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So in the beginning, did you have issues with people copying you? Did yeah, you... I had issues with people copying uh, my Harrison coffee table. I don't know who did not knock that mm-hmm. off. I really don't. I can't name a person who didn't. <laughs> but it wasn't the same. Ours was done with architectural bronze and then beautiful lucite. But the fellow who was making that only had one person making that, and he was making 10 at a time. And that was great because we had it on quick ship. Right. The problem was he decided he could not make it anymore unless he tripled the price to me, which was going to make the price to customers be outrageous. And so we had to discontinue it. And we are trying to find someone who can do that again, because it's a great table. But we also created the Desmond series, which is the newest series. And I'm focusing a lot more on wood and really beautiful wood right now, because I, I sort of feel in the mood for some warm wood, you know, but I still would like to have that in the collection. And so we're working on it, but I just can't, find the person who can make make it the way I want it. I've had several prototypes made and they weren't right. Hmm. So I didn't I don't want to put it in the collection until it's correct. 
it's funny, Jan, and, and Fred actually wrote a piece and, and we've actually been covering sort of this issue of, of copying and knockoffs. Uh. It's, it's been, it's been quite a hot button issue in the design community. And we've had people with lots of different takes on it and it's, it's challenging and, and wildly frustrating for you. I'm, I'm sure. I remember talking to David Sutherland about it. I said, what do you think I should do? I mean, I'm talking to this attorney, patent attorney. And he said, you know, Jan, I've gone through that. And he said, it's just, it's painful. And he said, you just have to keep on designing and keep on moving forward. And he said, I don't advise you worrying with any of that. And I took his advice and it was good. It was good advice. Well, I know he feels as if you've, you've just got to stay ahead, right? You of have the, to stay ahead. And I agree. Yeah. I agree with that because I learned this after my first bad decision of buying the really traditional things that didn't sell. I learned that I trust my instincts and I can be wrong, by the way. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm always right. I'm not, but I do trust my instincts and I can feel what I think is coming up next and what I feel like would be still traditional, but is sort of something that everybody might like. Speaking of brown furniture, where, where, where do you think where do you think brown furniture stands these days? Is that is that ever going to be coming back in a meaningful way? Has it started to tiptoe back in a little bit? Yeah, this Desmond series that we're doing is okay. pretty much focused on. There is some metal on it, but it's mainly it's beautiful wood, and my most forward thinking clients are loving it. So that tells me that in a year, everybody else will catch on to that. Right. Because they see it and go, oh, wow, that's so gorgeous. I have lots of designers who are clients. And the ones that you know have really wonderful taste, you know, will say, oh, I love that. And then they'll use it in their projects. And then you'll see it, the sales pick up the next year. So that that's kind of what I look for. You alluded earlier to multiple showrooms where, where at one time your product was being represented. Fast forward to today, you've made a somewhat dramatic decision, right, to sort of pull, mm -hmm. pull out of those those showrooms. I want to talk to you about sort of your, your thinking and, and what drove that decision for you. What drove the decision for me, I had a couple of friends who were also in the manufacturing business, and they encouraged me because I've been in, you know, my furniture's been out there for a long time. People know your product. Uh, you have a showroom in Dallas, you know, people are buying online. And I've been thinking that and saying right. that for quite a while. Of course, we have 6,000 square feet of antiques. And so I put those online and that's done great. So I thought it's time, you know, move on and be able to sell transactionally. And so that's really the reason I did it. I love the showrooms I was in and I think out of all the showrooms I was ever in over those years, probably only one of them was not great. And that was not anyone anyone would know. But Well, no, I mean, you were, you were in some very well-known showrooms. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned your, your friend David Sutherland, and you were, you were with him. Oh, for, for all, practically all those years. Exactly. In fact, David is the one who came to me and said, you need to be in showrooms and not be trying to do this yourself, because that's what I was actually doing. I had one room dedicated to and this is just when I first got back and had all those pieces made you know and I mean he, and, and I thought you know I think he's right I think that's a good idea so anyway that's how that came about that was thanks to David 
Well, and and in many ways, it sounds as if showrooms were invaluable to you in the beginning, right? To help get yourself out there. And of I course, mean, and uh, David, among others, they run a great showroom. They know absolutely. how to, they know how to do it. They're very organized. Well, and it it seems often that multi line showrooms, as we've talked about in the past, often can serve as sort of an, an incubator or or sort of a business development arm. But then, as you say, it sounded like for years, you've been thinking that we need to have a way to make this mm-hmm. more easily transactionable. Tell me what you mean by that. And tell me what what was going on for you. It was about the time that people from California started moving to Dallas. And I had a wonderful couple from who'd sold a house in Brentwood. And uh, she was doing a lot of her shopping online and then showing it to me. And I thought, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be selling online. So yes, I have been saying that and thanking that for many years. Yes. And help me understand from the time that you were thinking about it to when you finally made the decision, what was going on for you? Other than your friend, Kyle Bunting, no doubt, whispering in your ear, I did it. I pulled out of the showrooms and it's been the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, yeah, he did. Right? He certainly did. I think I just was sort of, I don't know, cruising along. Mm. And it sort of had to come to me as an epiphany almost that I needed to do this. And so I actually love being my own boss. (laughs) <laughs> no, I am a, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. There's no question about that. And no, I just felt that we needed to make the move all of a sudden. And it, it was because of how we'd done transactionally with our antiques that made me really realize that I wanted to do this. So the, the antiques in a way was an experiment, putting, putting that online Yes, and seeing the response to that. You've got a presence on first dibs and you've been there for some time, yes, right? Yes, I, I was the first one in Dallas, I think, or one of the first ones. Yeah. And how has that been for you? Is that a- Well, it certainly pays for itself. First dibs has made some decisions and, and, I, and I love first dibs, so I don't know. <laughs> Let me down. preface this by saying I that to, I love them. But, I, know, I love them, but uh, yeah. But um, they take a big percentage. They and, take a big chunk. Yeah. And also uh, they do not tell people who are looking at an item from you where it's coming from. They used mm. to. And I understand what they did. They got upset because there were people who were going around them and not paying them because they could, people could see it and they, then they would contact us. But that was one of their concerns was they were trying to control the communication. Right. Yeah, and I understand. I would right. be, listen, if I were them, I would be doing the same. Sure. But this just made sense to me. And we, we have so far had a really great year. We've been, without showrooms since June 1st. So you've been without showrooms since June 1st. And tell me what business has looked like. Percentages, numbers, what can you tell me? Business is 30 something percent. I want to say 34%. Okay. Over last year. In fact, there've been a couple of months. It's been more than that, but I'd say overall, I'd give that the average. And of course, last year was scary because last year was COVID and people were not really doing as much last year, but they're making up for it this year, as we all know. Well, so tell me some of the challenges of making that decision, pulling away from showrooms, doing it yourself. I mean, Kyle Bunting can quickly send samples of his, oh, right, sure. of his cowhide rugs. and, and Yeah, well, it, that's, that is the reason 
that I felt like after 20 plus years that I was well enough known, wonderful designers who depend on me for certain mm. items and just catering to those people alone is really good for us. And was the thinking, am I understanding you, that this might make the communication and servicing them easier if it was yes. more direct? Okay. Even though I think that the showrooms did a good job of that, really I do. Sure. No, no, but no. I just feel like this way we know more what's going on. I've got an amazing person who heads up my Jan Chowers collection, uh, Trista Womble. She's amazing. Everybody loves her. And she knows how to handle everything and is does all the quality control. She follows every single piece from the beginning until the end, makes sure it's shipped and everything's done correctly. She's a gem. I'll say that. <laughs> well, part of the reason that lines love being in multi-line showrooms is they know that those multi-line showrooms have all these local relationships right? and they're constantly sending samples and constantly, I mean, how did you think about how you were going to be able to reach out to all of these people in, in different markets? Like California, you mentioned a huge right. market. Yeah, how, how, huge how did market. you imagine, right? How did you imagine being able to service that market? Well, we decided because of COVID actually, mm. we decided that we were going to do this all by basically, you know, telephone and talking to people and letting them know rather than having to our, our zoom calls or whatever. Right. Right. Anything, anything that uh, helped us communicate, which kind of came along at a good time, you know, because the lessons we learned from having COVID and dealing with it taught us a lot about communication. And so that's how we did it. Now, we are going to have outside sales reps, but we're starting that next year, not this year. Interesting. And I, and I'm, I'm curious about that because we've been talking a lot internally about outside sales reps mm -hmm. and, and what a major force they are. They are in the industry, right? And, and mm -hmm. many companies have decided to just have outside sales reps versus having showroom relationships. Exactly. It sounds like that's an avenue that you're going to be pursuing in, in the new year. Yes, it will be part of it. And what markets are you looking at specifically there? And, and what are you imagining? Well, definitely we'll have outside sales reps in Dallas, probably starting out statewide. Austin's a huge market right now. Mm. And by the way, San Antonio is a huge market too. Mm. And so we'll be doing statewide first and then probably LA New York. Okay. And in the new year, it sounds like you'll have your e-commerce site sort of up and ready to go as well. Is that what you're yeah, hoping? Well, what we're going to have first is the lighting. Okay. And we're, I hope, I'm going to say this <laughs> publicly, I hope that we're going to be able to uh, have a better pricing on our lighting now that we're not in showrooms. So that's also part of the equation is it's that you're not going to have that commission structure to pay and that could help you with your pricing a little bit. Right. Definitely with the lighting, it will. And then we will probably move on to a few other pieces uh, as well, especially pieces that are already, you know, that are instant gratification. So explain the instant gratification pieces. to I me. just decided to call it that because, <laughs> you know, people want instant gratification, right? And, and you so, say, yes, I have that right yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. And like we had the Harrison coffee table, we always had at least 10 or 12 backstock and that was great. The lamps, we have plenty to backstock with those. And then 
you know, it's just easy if you already have it done. It depends on what finish they're going to want, though. You know, designers, right? of course, like to put their stamp on it. And so sometimes, you know, you have to make it, but it depends on that. So there were some pieces that you, you knew were just going to sell perennially. And so you, you could make a backstock of, of exactly, that. Exactly. Right. right. And going forward, do you imagine designers being able to log on to your site and actually customize some of the pieces that, that you offer and, and really be able to sort of go all the way through the process? Or how do you imagine it working? I imagine that we will have probably three to four possible wood choices because we okay. have 18 wood choices, I believe now, maybe 20. I'm not sure, but I think it's 18. And what we'll do is probably get that down to three of our favorite ones that people basically choose all the time. And we'll make it a little more specific. It may not be as easy to customize because sometimes people want to customize something that cannot be customized. For instance, if you have a desk that has an X base with stretcher, you can't start making that into something that is 84 inches long without adding a third leg. You know what I'm right. saying? I mean, right. we had structural someone who, issues. yeah, structural issues. I mean, we had showrooms ask us if we could make a table that would never work that way so long that it would be absurd. And, you know, we had to say, no, we don't do that, you know? Right. right. But th- so that kind of thing, we're working on that now. Let me put it that way. We are working very hard and fast on that right now. <laughs> We're taking a quick break to remind designers about bensolmani.com's newest West Hollywood antique showroom launch, an artfully curated gallery of rare, exquisite rugs, including oversized pieces, to masterfully finish your project. Ben Solmani Antiques offers an exclusive concierge service to assist in choosing a timeless offering, providing photos, videos, or sourcing assistance. Visit bensolmani.com or their West Hollywood showrooms to learn more. I'm always curious with a designer who, in your case, also has a manufacturing business. I'm wondering about the sharing of market intelligence and how your own design practice is driving some of the decisions you make in your manufacturing business and and what it tells us about how designers are specifying product like this today. Well, what I see is what people are attracted to when they come into my antiques and vintage showroom. And right now, you cannot beat having an antique or vintage bar of some kind, whether it's a stationary bar that's just almost like you have a glass front with wine glasses, whatever in it, or whether it's actually a bar itself. And people love that. People absolutely love bars right now. So, yeah, that's something I'm thinking about doing. So, in other words, if you see that it's, a big deal in the antiques business, then certainly people would love to have that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so sometimes the, the antiques and what people are responding to. That drives me. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Always has. But I'm curious in terms of your design firm too, are you buying a lot more online 
as a designer, are you gravitating towards places where you have that kind of access much more versus showrooms? Yeah, two things there, Dennis. First of all, I shop online for antiques this year. Twice this year, I've gotten shipments from France and from Belgium because, you know, we had to buy virtually. I couldn't go. Right. And finally, I went in end of September, as soon as Kips Bay started, I left right after it started and was gone two weeks. And that's why I wasn't even there. If there was drama going on, I was, <laughs> I was shopping. Finally, you were out finally I was in Europe and it was great. Yeah. But yeah, of course we go on first dibs. We go on, you know, all the different places that you can go, but yeah. you know, I'm picky. I like to pick it out myself. And that's part of what I'm wondering because you're very selective and you know what you want. And and many designers say to me, the truth is I don't like buying things online because I really do want to see them or I can't, I can't tell the scale or I can't tell what that wood really looks like. I agree. The people I buy from are people I know really, really well. Right. So I find out by calling and talking to them and say, okay, what am I going to have to do to this? And it actually takes a lot of time to buy online. I mean, you've got to really... Because, you know, the dimensions and all those things have to be what you want and what you're looking for. And so it's not my favorite way to buy. And part of the reason I'm asking is because you made the point earlier that you've been doing this for years. Yes, I have. You have have become a very well-known brand. They know the quality level that is synonymous with the design that you do and what you have sold and and brought into the world. And I'm wondering, would you be taking everything out of showrooms and just being online if you were just starting? If you were an unknown entity, right? Would you think, no, no, take the time to get into showrooms first and sort of become known in local markets? I mean, how do you think about that? Yes, I don't know where I would be without the showrooms I was in. I really don't. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to them. And, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't start out that way. Now, I mean, you could. You could try it. And there mm. are lots of people who are trying it. Yes. I just think I learned a lot from being in showrooms, mainly from Ann and David. <laughs> well, and, and, and what do you feel Ann and David Sutherland taught you, I mean, for example? They taught me about okay, Jan, this drawer is not working the way it's supposed to. It needs to slide back in. Well, I was making it like an antique. Mm. You know, I love, oh, I, interesting. I come from okay. that. I come from right. that place. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I was like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not how I do it. And they're like, no, you need to do it that way. Well, they're right. Um, just about outside sales. And you understand that you need to be putting out new product all the time. Well, and the feedback that you get. The feedback. Right. Right. From, right. Exactly. From those kind of partners. Mm-hmm. And and when you get feedback from David and Ann Sutherland, uh-huh. right, who, who have been as successful as they have been in the industry and who have been in the industry for as long as they have, you say, oh, you're right. <laughs> I do need to fix those drawers or, or right. Or, or I yeah. do need to. Yeah, of course. Well, of course I did what they, yeah. they said. And yeah. I mean, I had lots of showroom owners who I would talk to them and say, what do we need to be doing differently? That was the great thing. I used to do all the outside sales calls. Right. And I did that for years, probably 15 years. So I loved going and visiting with the designers and 
seeing what they needed or that we weren't doing and seeing what the showroom people, I'd always meet with the showroom people first, salesmen, and then meet with, you know, individual designers. That was so helpful to me in so many ways. I mean, sometimes I get suggestions that I didn't listen to, that I'm kind of glad <laughs> I didn't, but but most of the time I, I always did. Well, it, it's great to get the feedback. And, mm-hmm. and as you say, so often when you go on the calls to all the designers, mm-hmm. you'd get lots of different kinds of feedback and, and some were helpful suggestions and others were, thank you very much and yeah. uh, have it right and have a good day and thank you for your time. But I do think that it's always interesting to hear what's going on on the ground it in these is. different markets. That's how and, you learn, really learn what you need to learn. Yes. Well, and I'm and I'm curious, earlier in the conversation, you were sort of giving designers advice. Listen, go into a licensing agreement versus going into manufacturing because it it is challenging, even though you've, you it's have so found, challenging. you have found great success with it, but it is, it is challenging. And every day is challenging, right? With There's always something. Yeah. There's always something I have. I want to speak about uh, the people who uh, work in my business. She's my CEO, Zara Tate. She's wonderful. And she runs the business and Trista Womble is the head of collection and they really do take care of all of this. I just have to design. And that's what I'm getting to do now. But it's, you know, it took a while to get to this point. Let's put it that way. But they're great people and they're amazing, amazing, amazing employees. Well, and you've also done licensing and you've oh, yeah. I'm still doing ex- it. Yeah, exactly. You've got quite an extensive collection of things that you do with Gravit and and elsewhere. And tell me how that all evolved and and how you think about managing that side of the business. That side of the business, I have three different licenses, and Kravit is the biggest one. Mm. And because they asked me to design a full lifestyle collection, and so I did do that. In the first go round, we did fabrics, we did furniture, we did carpets, we did everything to do with drapery that you can think of, uh, lighting, accessories, that kind of thing. I've loved working with the people at Kravit. And what do you think that they saw in your look and sensibility that made them want an entire collection of, of what you could do? You'd have to ask Scott Kravitz. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because hey, I know he's tough. I mean, uh, I know oh, he, yeah. he, he sees a lot and turns down a lot. Oh, right? yeah. I'll no, never I mean... forget the first time I presented to him. I went in and I had a lot of artwork done of things that I would like to see Kravitz do. Right. Uh, that were completely different from what they're doing, uh, what they were doing at the time. And he just, he was sitting there and he had, he had me young next to him, who's his right hand person. And they were looking at everything. They weren't saying anything. And then he had asked me some questions that were really tough. And then all of a sudden he just said, well, we could take this and do this. This was artwork he was looking at. We could do skews mm. of this. And I thought, oh, I guess they were listening, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so then Scott Kravitz came to a, I was doing a show at uh, Ralph Rudin's in New York at the D&D and Margaret Russell was there uh, because AD was sponsoring the show. And so she uh, introduced me and I was doing a review of my new book, Glamorous Retreats, which was like 2013. So after it was over with, someone came and said, would you come over here and see Scott? He's at the Brunswick showroom. And I said, okay, so 
I went over there and he said, I want you to do a whole lifestyle collection for Kravit. He'd been standing back in the back listening to what I was saying. Well, that's the, th- I, that's the thing. I'm, I mean, I'm wondering what you said. I have no that, idea. That just, he was entranced. He was entranced by you, Jan. And he, right? I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> but but he was. He was just like, I, I really, really want you to do a whole lifestyle collection. Yes. And I looked at him and said, okay. Because I knew I could and I, I wasn't worried about it at all. I don't know. You know, I spoke about the book and I talked about all my clients and these are their second homes or third homes or whatever. And we talked about, you know, why they liked it in the place they were, why they were there, what they wanted in their home, all that kind of thing. And I just talked about all that. So I don't really know. <laughs> you don't know what really resonated with him, but he, I don't know. You you won him over because I mean, right? You. I hope so. I love Scott. And as you just said, you never flinched. You never thought, oh, that's... Oh, no. You were like, oh, I can do that. Are you kidding? I can do that. (laughs) I can design anything that you want me to design. Well, within reason. I shouldn't say that. I mean, that sounds like I'm bragging. (laughs) I don't mean that. I do know uh, certainly about designing furniture. I do know that. And fabrics were new for me at the time. Mm. And I love that. I found that very challenging. And my new fabric collection with Kravit Couture is coming out this coming spring. This coming spring. And so how long has that been in the making? Well, that was in the making and was supposed to come out last year in the uh, spring. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering. Uh-huh. All of that got delayed. Yeah. And any other plans you can share with us about the future? Well, I'm going to do another book. Okay. Oh, my goodness. We have probably 10 or 12 projects that we are slowly getting photographed, but yeah, another book is definitely on the horizon for me. Don't know what to call it yet because it's going to have to have the word glamorous in it. So right. got to figure that out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. no, we are, we're definitely, I'm definitely planning on that. I had a wonderful art editor at uh, Abrams last time and she said, she, she's already said she would work on the next one too. So I'm thrilled with that. And I love my editor too, as well. Is there something that you are longing to say in a new book? Is there something that you That's want to sh- share about what you've, what you've learned or, or even sort of what your state of mind is about things that you want to put into a, a new book? I really try to, to coach all the young designers who start out with me about how to practice and what what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And that wouldn't probably be a bestseller. Maybe among designers, it would be. Well, I'm always curious. I mean, what advice do you give your young designers? Well, I tell them to be well-rounded. That's the first thing. Because you have people who come in. Meaning what? Meaning they'll just, they love to do CAD. Or they love to go shopping. Or whatever. Well, they've got to be able to do it all. Got it. And they have to speak up and give their opinions to clients. And say what they think, because I understand at first you're not sure what to say. Right. And that's so important, because if you don't do that, you're not going to ever have the respect of a client. And so that's something I teach. I mean, oh, there's so many things I can't. I mean, I'd have to save that for a book. Sure. I don't want all your secrets, Jan. <laughs> no, you I... can't have them all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that you have so much to share and, and to teach with people coming up in the business because you've, you've been doing it for a while, as you say, and, and the business has, has changed a great deal since you, since you first started. Oh, yeah. And I would definitely teach them. Most of them know about our contract and know about how we do 
business and minimums uh, and that kind of thing. You know, I mean, it, they need to know all that. They need to learn all that. The business side of things. They really need to learn yeah. the business side and, of And many of yeah. them want to go out on their own eventually. And so that's something really important. But what they really need to do is work for somebody a minimum of probably five to 10 years, because that's how you're going to figure it all out. I did not do that. I just, <laughs> I just right. did it. You just jumped in. Uh-huh. And there were, and there were so many things that I had to learn how to do, but. And, and so do you wish that you had worked for a, a, a mm-hmm. big firm and really had apprenticed under someone? You Sure. You do. But it just did not work out that way. And so I had a natural ability to be an entrepreneur. So mm. that was something that kind of came naturally to me. And I definitely understood about design and I definitely knew how to do that. That's my first love. So I think it would still have been great. If I were 22 right now, that's what I would suggest that you do. But when I was 22, let's see, Jim was in law school and I didn't have a baby till three years later or two years later. And I was into having children. Right. I had passed through my part of wanting to be a movie star. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which I am, which I am still disappointed about. I am sorry that your father talked you out of that because I, I would have liked to have seen that. Uh Well, so would I, but I I don't know though. I feel the world was deprived. I don't think so, did it? I don't know. You know what? Honestly, I love what I do and I get to be creative and there's nothing much that I like better than that. Well, it's fortunate for the design world that it turned out the way that it did. Sorry, Hollywood, that you missed <laughs> out on a, on, a, on a possible movie star. But, uh, right. But it seems like you found the, the right calling. And I thank you so much for, for making the time. Of course. I loved it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH Insider community for access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.